Welcome to Slaking Thirsts, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart, who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. What a perfect gospel we have today for the Feast of St. Isaac Jogues, Jean de Brebeuf, and their companions, these missionary martyrs, these amazing Jesuit martyrs who did exactly what Jesus commissioned. They went to the ends of the earth, specifically to the, to the North American continent, to bring the gospel to the native peoples. Now look, I don't mean to try and make you lose your breakfast or turn your stomach here at 8 o'clock in the morning, but I want to share something about their martyrdom that I think is really, really powerful. So the North American martyrs, St. Isaac Jogues, Jean de Brebeuf, their companions, they suffered at the hands of the natives in ways that I cannot fathom, and honestly in ways that I'm not even going to describe this morning. It's just too intense, honestly. Uh, but after they were crowned in their martyrdom, after they did finally succumb to the torture, after they did finally die, the natives proceeded to then cut their hearts out eat their hearts, and drink their blood. That was the result. That's what they did afterwards. And the question is why? Because they wanted to consume their courage. They saw in the tremendous, long-suffering endurance of these men just an unbelievable, unaccountable courage. And they said as warriors as men they said whatever is beating in the hearts and chests of these men we want and they consumed their hearts you know a few weeks ago we celebrated the feast day of other martyrs the uh, korean martyrs saint andrew kim taegong paul chung hasong and their companions and in the prayer after communion one of the things that i said one of the one of the phrases that was in the prayer was referring to the eucharist now that we've received the eucharist which is as i prayed the food of the valiant That was the phrase, the food of the valiant. That's what the Eucharist is. That's what it is. It's the food of the valiant. It's it's the food that consumes us, right? That's That's the paradox of the Eucharist, that it's not the food that we consume, it's the food that consumes us. It's the food that can that conforms us more and more, deeper and deeper, to Christ Himself, who is the proto martyr, right? The first of the martyrs who for the sake of the joy before him suffered the cross, as we hear in the book of Hebrews, right? It was for the sake of the joy before him that he was willing to suffer the cross. So when you come forward and I say to you, the body of Christ, and you say amen, do you know what that amen means? I'm not asking, do you know what the etymology of the word? I know we all mean, we all, I know we all know that it means let it be so, or it is so, it is the case, yes, But do you know what you're saying yes to when you approach to receive this food of the valiant, when you approach to receive the food from this altar, that when you say amen and that host is placed upon your tongue, you're saying yes, I consent to the paschal mystery in me. Let it be done in me. I say yes to this in me, that I might be conformed to this food that I am eating. Like these Jesuit martyrs that we're celebrating today, it, like in their heroism, in their courage, they were conformed to Christ until the bitter end. Like they, they drank the dregs of the chalice of suffering all the way down. 
all the way down. And their captors, their torturers, in consuming their hearts and drinking their blood, it, it was a kind of proto-Eucharist. Think about it. Consuming their hearts and drinking their blood, we want in us the thing that's in you. Is that not what, is that not what we do here with Christ? Yes, in an un, the unbloody sacrifice of the Eucharist, right? The bloody sacrifice of the cross represented in an unbloody manner under the veil of sacramental signs, yes. There's no drops of blood anywhere. But are we not consuming his heart and drinking his blood? Are we not saying, Jesus, what is in you? I want to be in me. I want to become what you are. My mind keeps swirling and thinking about the hundreds of Israelis, citizens, mostly women and children, who were taken captive on October 7th when the Hamas terrorists came in and just led their raid and killed thousands and kidnapped many. I think it's likely from the reports that I've been reading and the things I've been listening to, it's likely that many of them who are taken prisoner are already dead. They're probably already dead after being tortured tremendously. And I keep thinking about the book of Maccabees, the story of the mother with her sons in the book of Maccabees, these brothers who were taken captive and were being forced to eat pork. That's it. Just a little bit of pork. And they refused. On their religious identity, they refused and they suffered tremendously, all in the presence of their mother, one after the other, suffering martyrdom and torture. Like those Jewish brothers and sisters of ours who were kidnapped and tortured in Israel, they weren't killed or kidnapped because of differing political ideology. They were kidnapped and they were killed because they were Jewish. And I, I, I wonder how many of them thought about their own ancestors who died at the hands of their torturers. Like in the book of Maccabees. Look, I'm not trying to be doom and gloom for us this morning. I'm not a prophet of doom and gloom saying, I'm not here to say that I think we're going to be rounded up and martyred like the first Christians under Diocletian yesterday, Ignatius of Antioch. I'm not saying that we're going to be rounded up and martyred necessarily by natives like the North American martyrs. But it doesn't seem unreasonable, at least today, it doesn't seem unreasonable to think that as the world spins more and more wildly out of control, that those who stand still and declare absolute moral truths, like proclaiming that there is a morality, that there is objective moral good, objective moral evil, that not all cultures are equal. Peoples, yes. People are equal. Races are equal. Sexes are equal. But cultures, no. Not all cultures are equal. Not all ideologies are equal. Not all ideas are equal. It seems to me that those who stand still amidst these shifting tides, they will be seen, we will be seen more and more as enemies of progress. And this hope of building this earthly utopia. Because that's what's going on. Like, one religion is being replaced by another religion. The, the religion of Christendom, 
where Christ is at the center, the church is his bride, and heaven is the destiny, that is being replaced with an earthly, progressive utopianism, trying to build the kingdom without the king on earth. And these teachings of our church, these beautiful teachings about marriage and family and sexuality and the human person and the unborn, about the reality of there being two sexes and the impossibility of becoming the other sex, the impossibility of transitioning, the inadmissibility of contraception, the impossibility of same-sex couples to form a marriage. These teachings of ours are going to be seen more and more by the world as our outdated opinions. These are our opinions, they say. And these opinions will be labeled as intolerable blasphemies in the cult of the new progressive religion. You can't say that. You can't think that. And again, it doesn't seem unreasonable that suffering, like real suffering, not just the soft totalitarianism that we're living through right now where we're all just kind of being softly cajoled into silence. I'm talking about real suffering. I think it's not unreasonable that it's going to come to our land and it's going to come to our times. It's going to come to our church. Maybe not this year or next year or a few years or in a few decades, but it feels more and more likely that it's coming. It seems like this window of peace, this, this Pax Americana that we've been living through is just, it's gone. Or we could, maybe it's just the last vestiges of it are just draining down the drain right now. It just seems like a wild time to be a Catholic. A pretty incredible time to be a Catholic. God could have had you be born, you or I, we could have been born at any other point in history. But we're not. We're here, we're alive now. Book of Esther, we hear Queen Esther say, I was born for such a time as this. Like we are the ones the Lord is calling to become the saints for this, for this moment. And I think about the guys I entered seminary with, the guys who are my brother priests, my friends. It seems like it's fallen to our generation, at least my brother priests, those who have eyes to see and the ears to hear, to prepare for the persecuted church, for this shrinking church, the church as she follows her Lord in his passion, which will soon be her passion. Right? It's right in the catechism that this final age of the church will be preceded by not this great ascendancy of the church, but as the church follows her Lord in his passion, that the church, like him, will be betrayed from within. The church will be mocked, like him, will be scourged and spit upon, like him, will be hated by the world, by him, will be condemned, like him, and will seemingly be killed like him. I shared a few weeks ago how often my mind thinks in the categories of the great stories, the Lord of the Rings in particular. There's a scene where Frodo, who's the ring bearer, he, he says to Gandalf, he says, I wish the ring had never come to me. I wish it need not have happened in my time. 
And Gandalf says to him, so do I. And so do all who live to see such times. But that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given us. Here's, here's what I've decided. Like May 21st, 2016, laying down in the marble of the cathedral, I didn't know really what I was saying yes to. I didn't know that my yes was going to be a yes to <laughs> the suffering, persecuted church. What I've decided is like, I, I'm here to make sold-out disciples of Jesus. Like as a priest, that's what I'm here to do. Sold-out disciples who will be the martyr saints of the future to build this resistance movement. Disciples who will live out holy marriages and holy vocations, raising holy kids in little holy hidden lives. And this army of future martyr saints, this army will come to birth when souls meet him. When people meet him face to face, eye to eye, nose to nose, when, when the it of the Eucharist becomes a who, when they fall in love. It was Tertullian who said that the blood of the martyrs has always been and it will always be the seed of Christians. Like, I, I, don't, I don't want to spill my blood. I've got a very low pain tolerance. I don't want to be martyred. I don't want any of us to be martyred. I pray that God would give us the grace, though, that he would give me the grace and the courage if that time came. But until then, like your task and my task, it's really simple. It profits us nothing to get our minds filled with worry or thinking about church politics or global politics. That doesn't profit us anything. Our task right now is to fall in love with Jesus period, to abandon everything to him, to, to trust him with everything. The big things, the small things, concrete things, that Jesus would be such a real factor of your life that it's like air, like gravity, like sunlight. That real, that concrete, anything less won't do. It was G.K. Chesterton who said this. He said, let your faith be less of a theory and more of a love affair. So friends, let it burn. Let him burn and consume you like he did these North American martyrs. Amen.